we are starting an Easter series, and the question sort of begs itself that uh, should we pause that Easter series uh, because of sort of the tragedy or the crisis that we're currently facing? And as we wrestled that out, what we began to sort of uh, look at and think about and pray through is the Easter story uh, is really a story of great um, tragedy. But if you look at it with the right lens, it's a story of great triumph. And so what I want to do is we're actually starting with uh, Mary this morning. And it's our series that we're in is called Tragedy and triumph, but what we're going to look at today is called Two Moments with Mary. And really odd, but I want to start uh, with this little young girl. Mary was probably 13 or 14 when she actually became pregnant with Jesus. But I want to start with the front end and look at when she uh, began to carry Jesus, and then I want to look at the very back end because she stood right at the foot of the cross of her son, Christ Jesus and watched him be crucified. So I wanna take a look at both of those bookends and actually see if we can't take what appears to be tragedy and then understand it through the lens of triumph. So we're gonna start in uh, Luke 1. We're gonna read verses 26 through 38, and then we're gonna shift over and look at John 19, verses 25 through 27. So start with me here uh, in verse 26 of Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Let me say to you today, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and you will give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be a great man and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Now we're gonna flip to the very other end, really where the Easter story takes place, and this is John chapter 19, I'm gonna read two verses, or three verses, 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here 
is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Let's pray for a second. Lord Jesus, what we need on this particular Sunday is really not my words. What we need, Father, is to hear from you. What we need, Lord Jesus, is to be known by you. And what we need, Holy Spirit, is to be filled with your presence. So as we take a look at this scripture, Lord, I would ask that in living rooms all across this city and anywhere anyone else is tuning in, that your presence would fill living rooms with hope instead of fear, with grace instead of anxiety. Father, would you enliven us with your word and would you unpack this in such a way that you would change us and conform us and fill us. In your name we pray, amen. A musician that I love by the name of Eric Clapton had a four-year-old son who in 1991 crawled out of a skyscraper and fell to his death. Shortly thereafter, Eric actually wrote a song called Tears in Heaven. I love the song. If I pause that for a minute, I could tell you about our own story and we have two daughters with type one diabetes and one of those daughters almost died at diagnosis. And I don't know what it is, but there's something about a parent's heart when they have a child that comes to the brink of death. It's one thing when we as parents sort of uh, go through suffering or difficulty or challenges ourselves, but there's a whole nother uh, level, I think, of pain and difficulty and suffering when we see the children that we love, the children that we've raised and had and served for so many years go through suffering or even die. You know, I would even say to us as a church that we have a number of people in our own congregation, our own family, that have lost children. And yet when we look at Mary, somehow we tend to uh, separate Mary from the reality that she was a woman who bore a son, watched him grow up, raised him, watched him set off into a ministry, probably didn't understand much of it, and then ultimately stood at the foot of a cross and looked up at her son as he was crucified and killed. The pain in this woman's heart must have been absolutely extraordinary. The grief, the even possibly lack of understanding of what was happening must have been absolutely mind-boggling. You know, I've got a friend that likes to say, Christmas is important, Michael, but it's really all about Easter. And you know, I think what's important during this time, in this place, even in this crisis that America is currently facing, that the entire world is currently facing, is that we actually go to the foot of that cross and then to that garden tomb where the stone was rolled away and our King Jesus came forth in all of life and resurrection. And we actually take a look at what is the resurrection of Christ Jesus. See, at Christmas, you have the incarnation. That's just a big church word. It's kind of a way of saying that God became man. Jesus became a human and was born to Joseph and Mary. But at Easter, you have the death and then the resurrection, which is what makes us Christian. It's really all about Easter. So I wanna sort of look at this Luke 1 passage for just a second 
And I wanna make a first point here. What makes Mary different? Everything I wanna look at today is all about what makes Mary different? Why is she different? And in much of our culture, we've actually elevated Mary. And I'm not gonna elevate her, but I'm not gonna de-elevate her. I wanna actually look at what made this young girl special and how was it that she came to have such favor before God? So I think the the initial question that I wanna look at is she is uh, literally minding her own business and suddenly an angel named Gabriel appears to her and speaks to her. Now it's interesting because this is the same angel that appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. And I love it because the angel actually says, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And my favorite part though is Mary's response. She was troubled at his words. Now, Mary would have been a young girl, 13, 14, 15, maybe. So I think a side point that any of you watching should make note of is God is not all that impressed with your age, your experience, your socioeconomic status, your background, or your education. What he is interested in is actually a heart posture before him. And when he finds people with an authentic, uh, surrendered heart posture before him, he can and will fill you and use you. So we have this little girl essentially sitting here, 13 or 14 years old, and this angel who appears to her, and she is greatly troubled. Now, are we in a troubled day right now? Yes. America is troubled around the world. We're talking to friends in Albania and Italy. They are troubled. It is a troubling time, and yet God is still moving. So the angel said to her, do not be afraid, and then said, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. So my question was, Lord, what is it? Why is it that Mary found such favor with you? What was it about her heart? What was it about who she was as this young girl that you chose to use in such a high capacity, such a high call? And I I think if you really boil it down, Mary is sitting in a time and a place in this Jewish history where God's been silent for 400 years. If you go to the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, there's a 400 year gap. And there's all this Jewish literature that was actually written during that gap. And yet not once does it say God said. So there's been a a, a sort of a period of great silence in the Jewish nation where God has not spoken, God has not been as present or as active, and suddenly when he decides to show up, it's to a 14-year-old girl. And I would actually propose to you that what made Mary different was not only a heart posture of surrender, but a heart posture that she was hungry for more of the person of God. Now, go here with me just a minute. I'm not saying Mary was hungry for a a big ministry, or I'm not saying Mary was hungry for um, some portion of, you know, the bigger house or the bigger car. No, no, I'm not even saying Mary was hungry for a platform or a speaking engagement or the ability to write or to, to be heard by people. I'm actually suggesting to you that what made this young girl different is she had a heart posture deep inside of her where she was hungry for more of a genuine relationship with King Jesus. She was hungry for more of a relationship with God Almighty. And I'm convinced that while God called her, it was her heart's response that she chose to sort of respond to him and choose to be hungry. Now, we're in, a, we're in a moment in our history, an unprecedented time. I've never in my life and to my knowledge, nobody that I even know that's alive right now has ever seen anything that has happened like what is happening now. And we have an opportunity to sort of craft and tool, how are we gonna respond to this? Are we afraid? Are we full of anxiety? 
But do we choose to sort of quiet ourselves and begin to look through and beyond our current circumstances and what's happening and hunger for what God is doing in it and through it? I would remind us that God doesn't just work in good times. In fact, most of the time, he works most powerfully in difficult times, in challenging times. So I believe God had, even though he called Mary, what Mary had was a heart that was hungry for more of the person of God, more of a relationship with him. The second thing that I would wanna point out to you this morning is what makes Mary different? And let's go here. This is very important. But in verse 35, it says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So you literally have the power of the Most High. And there's a little bit of a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God came on people. And in the New Testament, you have the Holy Spirit actually coming in or filling people. So you still have this sort of old, new transition that's happening in, in Mary's life. And the Holy Spirit is literally overshadowing her, coming over her. But the presence of the Most High. So I, I think I'd probably think of it uh, like this. At the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he ended up on the cross, he says in John 20, 21, he breathed on them and he said, be filled or receive the Holy Spirit. If you look at the Old Testament version of this, the nations of Israel actually followed a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. So you begin to get this understanding that the people of God are different, the people of God are set apart, the people of God are unique because of this holy overshadowing that they live in and under. So that in the Old Testament, when the cloud moved, they moved. In the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit led people from within, they would obey and move. So the second thing that I would say that makes Mary drastically different is she is literally choosing to live her life underneath this holy overshadowing of God. And I would say to you, in these days, in these moments, you are gonna live your life under something. It might be MSNBC, it might be CNN, it might be Fox News, it might be your neighbor, it might be the fear of what could come or will come or might come. But I would actually say, without us dismissing all of the realities that we're facing, you can live your life under that holy overshadowing with the infilling of Christ Jesus. See, for those of us who are in Christ, he is in us. I love this little portion of scripture that Mary lived beneath a holy overshadowing. In these moments, as we are mostly um, huddled in our homes, protecting ourselves wisely as we should, one of my family members has severe asthma. Another family, we have two family members with type one diabetes. We are protecting ourselves. We are being very careful. I'm encouraging you to do the same. But I would also say that the great risk is that we choose to live under the fear or under the anxiety of the day instead of choosing to live under and in the presence of a holy God. And in these moments, I think we probably have an opportunity to embrace relationship with him at a deeper level or get on our social media and scroll to open our Bible, to open a five-year journal, to open a conversation with him, to call a friend and pray with them, or simply just scroll some more, to look at some more news, to park ourselves underneath some of the negativity that is going on. Now, again, 
Please understand, I'm on and watching the news highlights every day so I can understand how to pray, where we are, where we are as a nation, where we are as a church, where we are as a world. But we must choose to live beneath that holy overshadowing. The third thing that I think makes Mary different. So the first thing we have is we have a heart posture inside of Mary where she is hungry for more of the person of God, hungry for more of relationship with him. She wants him. She doesn't want some aspect of what God brings. The second thing is she's living her life under this holy overshadowing of God. The third thing I would say, what makes her different? Well, it's her response. Her her response, I love it, at the end of this first little passage is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. May it be to me according to your word is what she said. What a surrendered life. Galatians 3, 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Our our choice to have faith happens in times of crisis, doesn't it? It happens when things are difficult. It happens when they're scary and challenging. That is when we have an opportunity to choose faith as opposed to choosing fear. You know, I was sort of thinking about this and I was even thinking about our church and I was going, how as a church, how even as a pastor, do I help people uh, and do we as a church lead people with how to respond to the current crisis? And I reflected back to a couple uh, verses in Daniel 3. You ought to go there and read it sometime if you haven't. But it's about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And fascinating little story, but what happens is you have a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar has a, um, I don't know, a huge sense of like ego and personal pride. And so he makes this big statue, and he calls together a big symphony and orchestra of people. And then he says to everyone, every time you hear this symphony and orchestra play, you need to bow down and worship this great statue of me, because I am the Almighty, is basically what he was saying. And so he had these three guys, Daniel, uh, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, excuse me, in the book of Daniel, and they refused to bow down. And so it actually says that Nebuchadnezzar became furious. He became angry and he heated the furnace up to seven times as hot as it normally was and he prepared to throw them into the furnace. And my favorite part is what these three guys say to Nebuchadnezzar right before they're thrown into the fiery furnace. They literally look at him and they say, our God is able to deliver us. But if he does not, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down. Now listen to me, church. I don't know what is coming in the days ahead. I'm not sure what's coming in the weeks ahead. I don't know what will happen to all of us here in North Carolina or in America. But two things are certain. Our God is able to deliver us. But if he does not, as a people, as a church, as people who love Christ Jesus, as a people who are called to Christ Jesus, let us stand firm and not turn away from the knowledge and the revelation that he is a good father. See, these guys had the right response, not arrogance, not fear, not defiance, but a quiet confidence in God. Now here's what I know. No matter what is coming or what will come, our God is able to take all of this tragedy and work it in your life and in mine, in your family and in mine, 
both for our good and for his glory. He is able, as you bring things and surrender them to him, he will deliver. But I think the proper response in the days ahead is our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not turn from him. So we have Mary with a heart hungry for more of God. We have Mary who's living her life beneath this holy overshadowing. We have Mary who has this incredibly surrendered response. May it be unto me as you have said. And then lastly, what makes Mary different? She chooses to view the tragedy through the lens of triumph. Now remember Mary is literally standing at the foot of the cross. She's looking up at her son bleeding, disfigured, unrecognizable. Her son, Abby's actually in labor right now, having our son. And I can't even imagine putting myself in this situation where you're watching your son be tortured and crucified. And I believe with everything in me that Mary at some point in her journey was able to see the tragedy of the death of Christ Jesus through the lens of triumph. So here's what I mean. It looked like that day that Jesus was on trial, but really Pilate, the Romans, the religious folks in Israel, those are the people that were on trial. It looked that day like Rome and Pilate were all powerful, but they were really acting in God's plan. It looked that day like Satan had won, that he had beaten Jesus, that he had conquered, that he had killed him, and yet this was the plan itself. This was the death that he was dying in your place and mine. This was God's plan from the beginning of time. It looked like Jesus Christ was cast out, but it was actually Satan who was being cast out. It looked like the cross was the end, but it was actually the beginning. It looked like this Mary was losing her son, but she was actually gaining a savior. It looked like life was over, and yet what was made available at the cross on that day and then the resurrection that followed three days later was eternal life for you, for me, for Mary. See, I think if my Lord Jesus could say anything to us today, he would say, my church, my people, my children, trust me. And see if you can begin to view the current tragedy through the lens of triumph. Shift your focus. Begin to ask, what am I doing? What are my purposes? What are my plans? And how can you actually begin to be a companion and participant with me? I was talking to someone earlier today and it's amazing to me how open people are right now. I mean, people are open. I've even been told and read several things that the nation of China is turning uh, to Christ because somehow this suffering has resulted in openness. People are open right this second in our neighborhoods, around us, their hearts that are for, for the suffering that they are under, the fear and difficulty that they are going through. They are now open and aware of their need for God. And I think in these days, people are going to whatever things that they go to to make them feel better, to meet those needs, to ease that pain. And I think we, salt box, have an opportunity to actually become salt in the city, to actually become salt and light, even if we can't leave our home. 
We had somebody earlier today that dropped off a couple of things of toilet paper and olive oil and Tide detergent. But what a simple way to love someone. What a simple way to serve someone. What a simple way to bless someone. And yet what a way to take the tragedy of the moment and turn it into triumph. See, this whole thing looks like Jesus is dying on Easter. This whole thing looks like it's over and yet it's just the beginning. The thing that looks like the end actually becomes the launch pad that goes forth. And I would say to you, it is no different today. There is tragedy and crisis afoot, be for sure. But the Lord is able to take that tragedy and to turn it and to use it for blessing in your life and mine, to use it for his glory, not only in eternity, but here on the earth. Perry, would you come back up? As we're sitting in living rooms across the city, as we're aware of what may come, I want us to pray that God will deliver us. I want us to pray for Wilmington, I want us to pray for North Carolina, the East Coast, the nation. We've actually had a neat opportunity to join with the Evangelical Alliance out of the United Kingdom and join forces to pray this coming Sunday with a bunch of churches in a bunch of different countries around the world. And in closing this morning, I want us to pray because I think we've got an opportunity to reposture our hearts, not into fear, but into hearts that are hungry for more of that relationship with God. I think we've got an opportunity to not live under the anxiety of what could come, but live under and live in the holy overshadowing of a God that loves us. I think we've got an opportunity to demonstrate the kind of surrender that Mary demonstrated. May it be unto me as you have said. And then I think we've got an opportunity to actually shift our lens. And instead of just looking for tragedy, we begin to look for God's hand to bring triumph, to bring victory, to be an overcomer. Wherever you are around the city or wherever you are turned in on, tuned in on, on listening this morning, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we would acknowledge, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's ahead, but we do know your character. We do know your heart. We do know that you are a good father. We do know that you are a father who cares for us. We know you're a father that comes behind us and goes before us, that overshadows us if we're willing. Father, I wanna pray for Wilmington, North Carolina. Lord, I pray for churches gathered all around online on this day. Lord, I pray for our city. I pray for the state of North Carolina. I pray for the Eastern Seaboard and the Western Seaboard. We pray for the United States of America. And Lord, we ask that you would stay this sickness that is on our shores. Father, would you hold it back? And then, Father, we would come together with other churches and other countries and ask, Lord Jesus, that in this tragedy that you would uh, reveal yourself to people, that you would turn hearts back to you that have grown maybe cold or distant or sort of sloughed off the reality of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for people out there who maybe don't even know this gospel, that they would surrender their hearts and lives to you for the first time. 
Father, I pray for those who are believers but have just gotten bogged down with chasing the next thing or the American dream that we would get back to a heart like Mary that chased after yours. Lord, for every Saltbox family that's gathered around this city and everywhere else, for everyone tuned in to this broadcast, Lord, would you meet them in their living rooms? Lord, would you fill them, not with fear, but with confidence? Lord, would you bring peace where the enemy wants to incite fear and anxiety? Lord, we praise you on this Sunday. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray, amen. As we go today, let's take this tragedy. Let's live our lives under the holy overshadowing of King Jesus and let's watch him take this tragedy and turn it into triumph. Let's actually go out and become salt and light. Let's be salt in the city. Let's become the hope that a hopeless world needs. Be at peace and may the God that we adore bless you and keep you. May he watch over you and may he stay this coronavirus from our shores. In the name of Jesus, amen.